It's Thursday, May 20th, day three of the Penn World Voices Festival of International Literature. I'm Stephen Fee, and this is a special festival edition of the Penn Pod, a podcast from Penn America. On today's edition, what does motherhood look like for trans women? How could that play out in the form of the novel? Tori Peters, author of Detransition Baby, joins the Penn Pod in advance of a festival conversation on transformation as possibility. Then, what's coming up at the festival? I'm Stephen Fee. All that coming up on this special edition of the Pen Pod. A dialogue about liberation literature. Our Nicole Gervasio has that conversation. Tori Peters is the author of Detransition Baby, a debut novel that has been widely praised for portraying a queer family romance rarely seen on the bestseller list. The novel centers on a not-so-classic love triangle that is unapologetically queer. A relationship between women falls apart after one of them transitions back to being a man and his affair with another woman results in a pregnancy that might remake their family all over again. Tori Peters, thanks for joining us for the special Pen World Voices Festival episode of the Pen Pod. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And we're thrilled to have you. And I have just a few questions for you. One trope I've always felt is a source of power in the queer community is this idea that everyone is free to choose their own families and no one needs to be bound by biological ties. I was wondering what inspired you to write your first novel about making a queer family. I was in my 30s and I was on the far side of transition and I was began sort of looking around to be like, well, I've transitioned. I'm living as a woman, I'm, I'm doing it, now what? And there's a lot of ways in, in which like figuring out how to live for a trans woman is difficult, but one of the hardest is the idea of having a baby. It's socially extremely difficult. It's biologically impossible. There's a lot of roadblocks to it. But I also thought that if you could show a trans woman having a baby, it would require you to also take on so many of the other difficulties um, for trans women, like work, like love, like how you want to find meaning in life. And so the question of motherhood and trans women was one that I, I wanted to go straight at. But I, in order to figure out what would, what would motherhood look like for a trans woman if she wasn't already a mother when she transitioned, I had to begin thinking about relationships that worked outside of the nuclear family. And this particular triangle to me seemed to have a lot of kind of literary potential in the ways that the triangles work. Each character has to be a protagonist and an antagonist to each other character. And at the center of it is a baby that's not yet born and that that baby can't mean the same thing to all of the different characters. And so it's the idea of who's going to get what they want and how it's going to happen is constantly being passed back and forth in a kind of like classic protagonist antagonist way. I love that. And incidentally, I was wondering if you tried to trace a lineage for Detransition Baby back to other family dramas, other mothers that we've known and loved or hated in novels and films, TV or pop culture, which would you choose and why? I would choose The Group by Mary McCarthy because I think it's a sort of classic social novel that is also really funny, really biting, reinventing what it means to be a woman for a particular generation. And it's a novel in which it's doing the work of a classic social novel and posing questions for how they live, but it's also posing them in new ways that, for the time, in new ways that were subverting a lot of the ideas of social novels 
before then, while also being dishy and gossipy and catty. And that's what I wanted to do with Detransition Baby. I wanted to have a novel that was in some ways doing something difficult, which was asking what happens to the ideas of, of the family and especially the nuclear family when you start including trans women in it. What, how does this arrangement work? Trans women not you know, being typically marrying and having children what happens to the nuclear family when they do? And I wanted to do to ask that question in the form and the genre that these questions always get asked, which is a kind of big American social novel and like the tradition of anyone from Updike to, to Franzen. But I wanted to do it slightly askew. And I think that the person who I think about having done it similarly before me would be Mary McCarthy. Thank you for that. I am such a sucker for the social novel. And one thing I'm really loving about this festival is how it is making my reading list so intimidating for as soon as it's over. So I really appreciate you adding one more to it. Um, switching gears a little, I wanted to talk about an article about gatekeeping in the publishing industry. You commented that so many of the dismissals you experienced as a trans writer in your early career paralleled those that Black women like Toni Morrison had already faced decades ago. Why do you think it was important to draw that overlap to light and how has this epiphany affected your perspective on your own trajectory going forward? Well, I had started, I'd started writing about trans issues in around 2010 and I was really writing them with the idea of a, a cis audience in mind. Like how can I explain myself to cis audiences? How can I make myself legible? And I had a lot of moments where my feelings were hurt because I was like really dumbing it down and I still wasn't making any headway. And I got to be part of a, a literary scene in Brooklyn centered around a press called Topside. And the sort of ethos of Topside was writing, writing trans stories for trans women in that if you can imagine a trans audience, the bar gets so much higher. Like you, you don't have to stop to explain yourself. You sort of write at a full out sprint Whereas if you are trying to explain yourself, you end up with 30% kind of 101 and your story slows down. And not only that, what it takes to impress trans readers is so much more than what it takes to impress cis readers. Like if I talk to trans readers about hormones, they'll yawn in my face. So it's like I had to bring something right. a little extra to, to it. So I was working in this mode and I realized that actually this was already the mode that, that Toni Morrison had written for, where she was writing explicitly for Black women. And I began to think if, if Toni Morrison's already figured out, you know, a way to write in a, a sort of liberatory, a, a, an angle on liberation literature, that there were parallels between the Black experience and the trans experience, what other parallels are there and what other ways of building community Arthur, and I found actually that in a lot of ways, what we were trying to do in the trans scene was reinventing uh, the wheel that was created a lot by Black women writers. But I worried about like, how much can I take from Black women writers as a white trans writer? What had happened is that there was this gift of a kind of literature of liberation and a series of techniques and approaches to writing a literature of liberation that were, I think, sharpened or honed by, by Black women writers. And that if I see myself as writing under an umbrella of a kind of uh, literature of liberation, at least insofar as the approach, there was so much that I could learn and, and take from those writers. And that is widely applicable to the trans experience and especially writing 
not just like, is this, you know, politically uh, potent way of doing it, but is it artistically powerful? And that, that was, I think, the most interesting thing that I, that I learned is that, oh, these are te- techniques for, fine, for creating quite artistically powerful work. Yeah, and I also love that idea of borrowing as a sort of way to recognize and honor the traditions that yeah. have come before in liberation and solidarity, too. Um, my next question was about the Women's Prize for Fiction. You were the first trans woman nominated for the Women's Prize for Fiction, which is the UK's most prestigious annual book award celebrating fiction written by women. How was that experience for you? Um, you know, the first five minutes of it were was wonderful. Because I, I was told that I was nominated and I had a sort of feeling of pride the way that anybody who's been recognized for an award is, you know, you just sort of sit back and you feel great. Um, and then I began to think about, you know, I, re- I remembered the Women's Prize. That used to be the Orange Prize. That was a prize that was created because people thought that there were too many men winning the bookers. And I, I sort of had this moment where I stopped cold and I was like, oh, I know that there's that especially in the UK, there's a quite vocal group of people who don't think that trans women are women, or that I'll just say about me, that they suspected me of being a man in disguise. And I was like, this is going to be a little bit messy. And in fact, that's what happened. So there was a couple of weeks where, you know, it was quite bracing, but I felt in the end that it was actually a quite positive experience because a lot of people in the UK, which is actually amongst trans women thought of as as a place where like ground zero for transphobia, a lot of women in the UK, a lot of readers in the UK came out, bought my book, supported me, were quite vocal in, in, in pushing back and in basically saying that the people who were coming out to attack me weren't actually readers, that they were people who waited around for a trans woman to win something and then came out and then were like, this is, this prize is our ancestral homeland. We own it. Even though they never cared about literary prizes kind of before that. And that what I saw instead was a real outpouring of love for the book and care and thoughtfulness on the part of readers, on the part of um, people who love books, who were willing to basically see what am I doing? Like, why was I in this prize? Why would this book, why would this book be included? Why did the judges uh, choose it? And in the end, the book became a, a bestseller in the UK, which I never would have expected for the reasons I just said. And ultimately that to me was the thing that felt like the big prize is that if I could choose having won the prize and gotten the prize money, or I could choose a bunch of readers coming out, showing their affection for it, reading maybe outside of their comfort zone, I would choose that second that second thing any day of the week. And in fact, that's what happened. Even though there was a couple of weeks that I would say were like pretty uncomfortable for me or pretty upsetting in, in the ways that there was this transphobia happened, the actual prize itself was really affirming and it was an affirming experience that connected me with a lot of different readers. Thank you so much for sharing that story with us. And I should have said to begin with, congratulations. Thank you. I have one more question for you, which is between you, Alison Bechdel, River Solomon, and Meyer Jacob, I feel like I basically get to attend lunch with queer family royalty at your event this afternoon. What's one question you're hoping comes up at that table? Um, I'd like to know what's what all four of us have in common. 
I, I like finding the commonalities, especially across difference. We, we all approach things really differently. And I think we're in this moment of people are choosing, I guess there's that expression, like stay in your lane or whatever, but I'm really interested in finding ways that we speak both across difference and the ways that sort of amplifies the differences, amplify work to, to create, as I said in those earlier questions, umbrellas of literatures and ways that we can understand each other and, and work with each other and be inspired by each other. So I would like to hear, yeah, I'm curious to see what commonalities come up. I'm really excited to hear about that too. And I'm sure everyone who will be there is. That's Tori Peters. She's the author of Detransition Baby, which we'll be discussing this afternoon, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in the Penn World Voices Festival event, Transformation as Possibility and Queer Stories. Tori Peters, thank you so much for joining us. It was such a pleasure. I'm so thrilled to be here. look at the day ahead for the festival. You can hear more from Tori Peters at noon today in dialogue with Alison Bechtel and River Solomon. Then don't miss Dreaming on the Virtual Stage, where young writers from our Dreaming Out Loud program have their works staged. That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Then on Friday, don't miss events featuring Joy Harjo, Edwidge Danticat, John Freeman, and many more. Check out the whole lineup at penorg slash festival. Tickets are on sale right up until the last minute. And that's our episode for Thursday, May 20th. Join us tomorrow for another special edition of The Pen Pod. We'll have a conversation with author Kawhi Strong Washburn. Tickets for the festival are on sale now. Head to our website, pen.org slash festival to buy. I'm Stephen Fee for Pen America. This is a special festival edition of The Pen Pod. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.